Good morning. It's good to see you. Um, my name is Luke, and I'm the teaching pastor here. I've not met a lot of you, so I, I look forward to meeting you after the service if, if we get a chance. But I want you to turn to Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5. This is going to be the passage today that shows us Christ much more clearly as our hero. Um, as a church, if you've not been here, we do make a big deal out of Jesus because we're fascinated with Jesus. We're fascinated with um, God's work towards mankind through the person of Jesus. And we actually believe that all passages, all chapters, all sections and genres of the Bible, whether it's New Testament or Old Testament, point to the work of God in the Gospel. Um, so not only just the New Testament, but even Deuteronomy 5 is going to do that heavy lifting for us today. And we are finishing a little quick two-part series, really almost three parts, um, right before the year turned over, we looked at being intentional with your strategies, your goals, and your dreams. Last week, we looked at being intentional with your rest, and we're going to finish that up today, being intentional with our rest. And not all of you know this about me. Uh, I think those of you who are close to me or I've had any kind of relationship with do know this about me, but in 2011, I burned out um, and almost came out of the ministry. I'd, I'd broken my body so bad um, that I, I just I couldn't get out of bed. It's, it's hard to explain. Some of you have burned out, and you've been there. And so as I explain this, some of it might resound, I guess. But it was the Monday after Easter in 2011. Some of you were here. Um, probably a third of you were here. We were a lot smaller back then, but I was much more stressed out. And I woke up, and I could not get out of bed. I mean, I couldn't will myself to get out of bed. But physically, I was struggling to get out of bed. Um, and for weeks later, I'd find myself crying at the weirdest times. I'm not a person that cries, by the way. Um, but at the oddest times, I'd cry. It didn't, nothing sad, uh, nothing necessarily made me happy inside. It's just weird times. I'd find myself weeping. I couldn't get control over my emotions, not even a little bit. Um, I had worked so hard the previous several years of my life overworked for several years that I'd landed in what a lot of professionals call late stage adrenal fatigue syndrome. Um, I'd pushed my body to where it was not producing just the basic chemicals that I needed to respond to the environment. Um, this is real common in pastors, real common in entrepreneurs, business leaders, athletes get it all the time. It's called overtraining. Um, some of the same markers are there. It's usually those who are very type A driven, but it doesn't have to be. Some of you are that person, and some of you are married to that person. Some of you room with that person. Uh, but I found myself in a very scary place. I had a very difficult time. Even it's, it's actually only now that I'm even able to describe what was going on. Then I couldn't do it. I was just scared. I didn't know what was going on. People would ask me, hey, you don't look like you're doing too good, or you sound real horrible, or you don't look very good. What's going on? And I, and I couldn't explain it, right? Um, people freaked me out, which is bad if you're a pastor. If you're a pastor, people can't freak you out, you know? It just comes with the territory. I also had a hard time making decisions, little decisions. And I, I've always prized myself as a high executive, making big decisions really fast with no regrets, and I wasn't able to do that. Even the most basic things had frightened me. found myself really hungering to hide from people, to get away from people. I walked around with a depression, and the best way I could describe it is depression was like a warm blanket that I could not shake off, and it followed me wherever I went. I had this deep, deep fatigue that just followed me. 
everywhere. In the morning, I'd get out of the bed. I was fatigued, fatigued all day. Take a nap, it wouldn't matter. Sleep 10 hours, it wouldn't matter. Just a chronic restlessness. Um, and then the, then the physical part started to catch up with what was going on in me and in the fact that I, I uh, just had insomnia night after night after night. Reflux was real bad to the point where I almost needed to be medicated. Reflux would even be keeping me up. Jaw clenching, you know, where you clench your teeth or fist clenching, cold hands, always being ready for something bad that was about to happen, always preparing myself to react to an emergency. It was bad. I was sick. I was real sick from overworking. And my wife had um, lovingly pressed me towards getting tested, um, and she was very patient with me in, in that long period of time, that long season, and I did. I got tested, and then I got tested again and tested again to back up the other test, and it turns out I did. I broke my body. And what all the researchers and surgeons could agree on through the various different tests that they put on my life is that I had abused my rhythm of rest. I'd abused it. I'd broken it. I had a sick cycle of work and rest and to where I was working too much and resting not nearly enough. And what was now a physical problem, I understood to begin spiritually. You see, overwork is a spiritual thing long before it's a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. What had happened was, is I was heavily influenced by a very, very poor perspective on who God is. And it affected his perspe my perspective on, on who I was. It, it wasn't my wife that burned me out. It wasn't the church that burned me out. It's my bad theology. My bad theology burned me out. I simply, in my theology, did not have a very good gospel in it. It, it was gospel-less, I guess you can say. Some of you in here are in this same place, and you have a little bit of this theology rattling around in you as well. It's the theology that God is not really totally in control, so I must be. Right? I mean, he's in control, but not in my world. God doesn't really produce or fix things, so I have to produce, and I have to fix things. God is here, but he's not really here. I mean, he's moving, but it's always around others. He saves and rescues, but not really me. And so what it would produce in me, and what it might be producing in you, is this very high-strung, driven person that is trying to fix and nurture and solve, because God is not really that big, and he's really not that good. So if you're like me, what began as a very gospel-level failure lands us in a place where our body literally breaks. It's not able to respond like it used to. Puts us in a place to where if you get as bad as I got, it could take years to fix, right? You know, and by God's grace, and I hope this encourages some of you, by God's grace in showing me what to do and correcting my theology, I'm healthier now than I was in my 20s, and I'm a long way from my 20s, right? But I'm healthier now. I sleep better. No more reflex. No medications. Nothing like that. I'm in, I'm in better shape physically. Everything. I think more clearly. I think my vision is actually starting to improve just a little bit because of some other uh, changes I've made in my life. I mean, I'm, I'm improving as a person. But the truth is, and I have to be totally honest, and I'm echoing something that Wayne Cordero says in his book, Leading on Empty, um, who is another pastor who's been in this place. The, the ones who come out of burnout or struggle with burnout, burnout is never too far away. This is not something that you, you solve and you fix and you put behind you as a part of your past and your story that you'll never have to deal with again. Burnout kind of walks alongside you. And so of all the things I have to protect, 
one of the things I have to protect is, above all things, is my rhythm of rest. Rest. As I said last week, my biggest goal this year is to be an excellent and professional rester. <laughs> it's something that I need to have in my life. Last week we looked at entering God's rest as an act of worship, and that's primarily because there's so much trust involved in it. We looked at having unfinished business around us is something that we loathe, but it's a natural part of our life. And ceasing to work, even when you're loaded to the hilt with unfinished business all around you, stopping, just stopping, just ceasing all productivity, stopping all work, is a way that we celebrate what God has done for us as He stopped all of His work in creation and as Christ stopped all of our work to please God as He handed us an ultimate rest. Last week we looked at the fourth commandment and how God describes it. If you look in Exodus, and we're not going to go there today, that was last week. And listen, I encourage you, if you struggle with rest, you should go back and listen to last week, okay? Because some of the stuff I, I hit there, I'm not going to hit today, okay? This is a different angle. We're, we're coming from a different perspective today. But last week we looked in the fourth commandment where God was telling us to rest and recluse into a Sabbath. And what he did is he connected it to creation, there was a straight line drawn between Sabbath rest and creation. God worked six days, and he rested one. God worked six days, and then he ceased. He stopped, and he said, I'm done working. Look at what is built. Look at this. It's amazing. Beautiful creation, and all the work is done. Of course, we see this echoed later on, much later on. We see God... The second time he says it is finished is in the person of Jesus Christ, except instead of this happening on the landscape of a perfected creation, it's on the landscape of a cross where he says it is finished. Not just his work, but his work for you. All of mankind's work and striving and clawing and scraping and do whatever we can to impress God, all of it's done. It's all finished. It is finished. And out of it comes a Sabbath rest. Jesus is the true and better Sabbath. Now what I love about this is God designed the six-day, one-day model. Right, This model that we've taken now our second week on, he did it out of the depth of his brilliance. He could have considered any other way, but this is what he decided to do. And any time, and, and test me if I'm wrong, any time you see in the, in the world mankind trying to innovate or improve God's design, or alter God's design, it always ends up backfiring in us. It, it always ends up coming to ruin. This is a good example. It's been tried. Back in the late 1700s, in the depth of the French Revolution, France decided to alter the calendar. They were going to scrub all the Christian nuances away from the calendar, and they were going to design a brand new one. Right? No longer would there be seven days in a week. There would now be ten they said, why not? They renamed the days. You can go online and find it. All the names had, or all the days had different names. There was no longer a Monday or a Thursday. And now there was just working nine days and resting one. Now this is the thing. It, it gave the leap year fits, right? Because <laughs> their math wasn't really working out. But the math that really wasn't working out was not so much the leap year math. It was the common laborer because they decided, hey, wait a minute. I can add I'm getting like 15 or 16 less days of rest with this model. And scholars and historians agree today that one of the leading reasons, because this, this calendar hung around for 12 years, the better part of 12 years, 
The reason they trashed it was not necessarily because the leap years were a problem. The main reason they trashed it is because the workforce was burning out. Sickness was rampant. It's almost as if, with a common grace, God imprinted six days of work, one day of rest, in the core of mankind. As we saw last week, in Genesis 2, when God said, I'm working six, I'm resting one, he could have done anything he wanted. He had boundless imagination. He had no budget. He had no constraints. He had no parameters. He had nothing like that. But I mean, he could have made it to where you didn't have to rest at all. He could have made it to where you never had to sleep. This was all within his power with a blank slate. Yet, he says, six days we work, one day of rest. Now, when we honor this rhythm, it provokes health in us. When we dishonor and break this rhythm, it makes us sick. It breaks our body. I think it's a common grace to mankind. When I say common grace, I've used that twice now. Uh, common grace is different from effective or saving grace. Saving grace is a grace extended to you despite you as God is rescuing you. A common grace is something that's given to all mankind regardless of whether you, not, you love Jesus. Laughter is a common grace. Rain is a common grace. These are things that visit the planet, whether or not the planet adores Jesus. Right? I think this is a form of common grace to us. So rather than today looking at the Sabbath rest through the lens of worship, I'd like to look at it a little bit through the lens of stewardship. And I think Deuteronomy helps us the most here. So let's look at Deuteronomy. We're going to be in chapter 5, verse 12. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have an app or you don't have a Bible. And just so you know, and it's important to know whenever you read a passage of the Bible, why it's in the Bible. Who's saying it? Who are they saying it to? And why are they saying it? Right? And what we have here is basically a sermon. Moses, in Deuteronomy, is preaching a sermon. To who? To the Israelites. But he's preaching to a, a, an Israelite nation that's about to cross the river and go into the promised land. This is basically an Israelite nation that just finished wandering for 40 years. It was their parents and their grandparents that were the ones that came out of Egypt. That's who's listening to Moses as he preaches this. Moses is about to die. And he's about to hand the torch off to Joshua, who's going to helm the nation straight into the promised land. And this is what he says. He's basically reteaching some things he taught 40 years previously. Verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now catch this, because we're going to talk about this a little bit later. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male and servant <clears throat> or your female servant may rest as well as you. Verse 15. This is important. This is where he's connecting it. Last week it was creation. This week he's connecting it here. You shall remember that you were slaves. You were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. It says remember. Verse 15, you shall remember. Why is he saying that? Why is he telling them to remember? Because the last time this sermon was preached, in a big way anyway, was over 40 years earlier. And it was to their parents. And it was to their grandparents as they were entering the wilderness. 
40 years earlier. Remember, put yourselves in their shoes. They just crossed the Red Sea. They just come from an evil taskmaster. They just came from Egypt, a brand new nation. The first time Israel is Israel is they come right out of the Red Sea, a brand new nation. And what does God give them for the very first time? A new nation gives them a new rest. We see that in the Ten Commandments. You get a rest. You get a time to reset. You get a time to recreate, to rejuvenate, to celebrate and remember what has happened. And they'd never had this before. Think about how innovative this was. This must have blown their minds. They'd never had a rest before. No three-day weekends. No one-day weekends. Their calendar was worse than the French calendar. They had nothing. They just worked every single day. And whenever their bodies broke, they were probably imprisoned or killed, or they just worked until they died. No rest ever. They never knew what rest was. All they knew was making bricks. That's all they did. They made bricks. They were utility. So this concept of rest was brand new. So God takes this tired, burned out, damaged, overworked nation away from an evil taskmaster through the Red Sea. Out they come a brand new nation. And what does he give them as a brand new gift? Sabbath rest. And they loved it. God was giving them a gift. And he was saying, on this day, the day where you're not working, remember Remember a rescuing grace that you two were enslaved, shackled to making bricks day after day after day, but your day of making bricks is over. That oppressor is buried in a sea, and I did it. It's a beautiful day. The day of making bricks are over. This is the thing about gifts, though, especially God's gifts to us. We break them, right? I read somewhere that most toys break on Christmas Day, which if you're a parent, you know why. The kids are excited, so they're unwrapping it too fast, right? They got the little cable ties in there and everything, holding it to the plastic, and they just, because you just get tired of cutting after a while, and you think if you just give it a good pull, it'll come out of the container. Or they put the batteries in there backward, or, or whatever. They don't read the manual. We love to break gifts. We're, we're not very good gift givers but we're very very poor gift receivers and even when God gives us gifts we break his gifts God comes to us in Jesus a beautiful gift and we break him we break his body we spill his blood everywhere we put him in a tomb we break God's gift he gives us spiritual gifts to serve each other to glorify him read first Corinthians we break those gifts too it's very difficult to get something that we don't break and here we have these listeners 40 years later, about to go into the promised land, re-listening to an old sermon remix that Moses had already done, and he's telling them and reminding them of the Sabbath rest. And you know what they would have thought? Something a little bit different than their parents and their grandparents. And we know this because as Israel aged, this is some of the stuff they struggled with. They'd say things like, hey, the Sabbath is kind of horrible for our economy when you really think about it. I mean, the nations around us, they're not celebrating the Sabbath. We've got it in neutral, and they're still producing. Think of what could happen if we just worked seven days instead of six. We'd produce about 15% more. Every day we're not working on a Sabbath is a day that they are, and we're falling behind, and it's working for them. If we don't work, we won't get. This idea of no productivity on one day of the week it's a bad model for commerce. It's bad for us as a nation. Israel was always wanting to be like the other nations. 
If we work seven days, though, we'll get so much done. I mean, yeah, I know God saves, and I know God rescues, and He provides, but come on, there are bricks to make. So many bricks to make. And today, we say the exact same thing. And we make bricks. Make them all the time. I think what happens, and we looked at this in detail last week, spiritually, there's work behind our work. Spiritually, what that means is is there's things that God has given us that we're not accepting. We don't see them as gifts, so we try to provide them and manufacture them on our own for ourselves, and we try to get them from each other. So, and and is it a reason, or not a reason, but an example? Uh, God has given you an identity. As a Christian, you have an identity in Jesus Christ. But that's not really the identity we want. It's the one we need, but we don't want it. We want to have a certain idea about ourselves, and we want people to buy into that idea. So we will do things to project that identity on them so they see us in a certain way, right? There's work behind the work. You're not just getting a paycheck anymore. You're using that job and abusing that work cycle to provide something for yourself, whether it's a provision or a comfort or or validity or an identity. There's work behind the work. Of course, in order to do that, we've got to work extra long or extra hours, a lot of us. So work behind the work a lot of times produces a workaholic. So physically, we make bricks. And spiritually, we make bricks. And when we do this, we enslave ourselves all over again. All over again. So I say stewardship is the issue here this week, um, even though we looked at worship last week, because God has given us work to do, and he's given us a body to do it in. And when we neglect rest and we ignore the rhythm He provides for us and we ignore entering into God's rest, we break both. Because no longer can you work to God's glory. Not when you've not rested to His glory. You can't. So you destroy work for His glory and then you end up destroying your own body, which doesn't even belong to you. We break God's gift to us. Our work suffers. Our health suffers. It's a stewardship issue. Because think about it. When you abuse alcohol, you get drunk, or maybe, you have an alcohol, maybe you're an alcoholic, maybe you're just addic- addicted to it, you are enslaving yourself to alcohol. It is telling you what to do, and you are obeying. You are shackled to it. It's damaging you, right? And you are entering into slavery. Food. When we abuse food, it does the same thing. Food tells us when to jump, we jump. It tells us when to eat it, we eat it. We do whatever it tells us to. And now, it it might be um, neglecting food because of uh, trying to provide a certain image. It might be eating too much of it because it's providing comfort. But whenever we abuse it, we enter into a slavery of our own account, of our own volition. Same thing with money. Same thing with money. If you abuse money, you become enslaved to it. And it tells you what to do, and you obey. It's no different for work. It's no different for work. Whenever we abuse that, we become enslaved all over again. This is what Tim Keller says about it. It's a very helpful quote. He says, There is a symbiotic relationship between work and rest. Of course, we know this at one level. We get away from work in order to replenish our bodies and our minds. Resting or practicing Sabbath is also a way to help us get perspective on our work and put it in its proper place. Often we can't see our work properly until we get some distance from it and reimmerse ourselves in other activities like a Sabbath rest. Then we see that it is more, that there is more to life than work. With that perspective, 
and rested bodies and minds, we return to do more work and better work. He's right. I mean, if you rest to God's glory, you will be able to work to God's glory. And when you're working to God's glory, it makes it much easier to rest in God's glory. But we're not able to do this because we're not used to it. We're not able to work well because we're simply not resting well, many of us. Now this is a, as I said, this is a common grace that God has given to us. This is a kingdom principle, though, and the world has figured it out. They've hacked it. The NFL, of all things. Most NFL teams provide wristwatches or or some sort of an app or a device that their athletes wear now to do what? To measure their sleep. To measure their sleep because they understand this person is not going to work well unless they've rested well, right? Check them out. The next time they get off the team plane or the team bus, they'll all have black watches on, right? I mean, everyone's got those on. I mean, probably half of you have one on. Measures your sleep. It measures how much you work. They're not just, the, the days are over of just giving the same workout to everybody. They're, they're customized now, depending on the rest that you've had, right? So multi-billion dollar industry has figured it out. And that's because God is brilliant. <laughs> he thought of it first. Now here's the thing. If you don't Sabbath on your own, if you don't retreat or enter into God's rest on your own, it will happen anyway. It'll happen anyway. It just looks different. It looks like burning out. It looks like chronic fatigue. It looks like suppressed immune systems that are cratering under the very weight of our pace. If your body is on high alert all the time, fight or flight all the time, and your gear shifter is stuck in fifth gear, always fixing, always solving, always producing, always creating, always fixing, always solving, always creating, always producing, always, always with no rest, You'll break under the weight of that. This is why many of you, you get sick on your first or second day of vacation. If you've ever wondered, by the way, why that happens. It's because your immune system just couldn't keep up. You tried to get all your unfinished business done before you left, and you pushed too hard. And now you're sick. Now here's the thing, and hear me clearly, it's not your body to break. It's not your body to break. You don't own it. You're a steward. We are stewards. I think a lot of times we're managers of our body, acting like our owners, and then once again we've broken a gift given to us. Now listen, resting, this is what I have found, resting, it is both a physical and a spiritual detox of sorts. Have any of y'all ever been on it? Raise your hand if you've detoxed off of anything before. Anybody? Some of you are smiling and you're not raising your hands, which means you have done it, but maybe you quit at one point, right? Detoxing is tough because you're always curled up in some ball somewhere. You're always breathing in the nose and out the mouth, some weird smell coming out of your pores, headaches. It's horrible, isn't it, detoxing? The thing that detoxing does do, though, it gives you perspective on what you've been depending on, doesn't it? I mean, once you've been taken off of caffeine for just a few days, and you're like, wow, it really had some power over me. (laughs) I was really leaning into that a little bit more than I originally thought I was. It gives you perspective on what you depend upon. And as we looked at last week, many of us are a little bit frightened just to be still before the Lord or to enter into God's rest because we're a little bit scared of what we will find. Because in a time of quietude, in a time of silence and stopping and ceasing, 
You're not producing anything. So maybe your validity, maybe your identity is gone. Maybe your comfort is gone. Maybe your, uh, your sense of security is gone because you have stopped producing and manufacturing. And that's a scary place for a lot of us because we don't like what we see. We struggle with it, and it could get depressing. But it's beautiful for us, this detox. That's why it says in Mark 2, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So when we stop abusing rest and stop abusing work and stop making bricks, it's a worship. It's worship. And it's good stewardship. Because we do not own our bodies. We don't. 1 Corinthians 6 says this. I should have said this earlier. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your bodies. Glorify God in your bodies. We don't own our bodies. We don't own that. Hey, you don't own your calendar either, by the way. These rhythms, they're not yours. Your goals, your desires, your strategies, they're not yours. They don't belong to you. You manage them. God has given them to you to manage for His glory. It's so easy for us to subvert that cart, isn't it? To flip it over on its head. It's, it's easy for me to do. But that's what this is telling us. That's what it's telling us. Now there's a couple... I told you last week I'd be a little bit more practical this week. And again, if you weren't here last week, you'll want to go back and listen to it. Um, but there, there are some tips, some application tips. Now, and be careful when you hear me give you these tips, because we're about to be done. But this is typical. This is very typical what happens. A pastor will stand up and give some tips or some application, and then you walk out of here thinking that all of that is in the Bible, or all of that is what we are telling you you must do to please God. And I'm not doing that. These are tips. Do what you want with them, okay? These are tips for you. What I want you to walk out of here seeing is that God is beautiful and he's given you a beautiful gift. That Jesus stopped the work for us on the cross. Don't walk out of here saying, look what I have to do now. Walk out of here saying, look what God has done. Not what I must do, but look what God has done. But as the tips come, I have to say, the biggest question I get is, Luke, which day? Which day is the Sabbath day? Any day. What day works for you? It's a principle we see, working six days and resting one. Some argue that Sunday is the day, right? And they get that from a couple passages that they've pulled out of Acts that describe the early church doing things that look like a Sabbath day or the Lord's day. But these are descriptions, not prescriptions, okay? So it's basically any, any day, what day works for you? It might not work for me. It might not be the same day for me. But what is realistic? Is it one day? Is it two half days? Are the two half days together? When does it work? When, you can, when, when can you lay it all down and not fudge, not cheat? Did you notice in this passage, he says, you stop working, oh, your sons and daughters, they're not working either. The female servants, the man servants, they're not working either. The beasts of the field, they're not working either. Oh, and the foreigners, the sojourners that have come in, they're not even working. Nobody's working. Why is he going through all the trouble of listing everybody? Because we cheat. We cheat. We think, I'll take a rest and I'll make everybody else work. That way I can still provide. I can still create. I can still fix. I can still solve. So by the letter of the law, I'm following it, but I'm still getting what I want. How do we do that today? Because we don't all have male servants, do we? 
No. We do it because we're thinking about work even when we're not at work. Right? Me and Paula were talking about this this morning. Something happened the other day, and she brought something up, and immediately I went to fixing it in my mind. Fixing it. Because we're really good at thinking about the phone call before we make the phone call. We're very good about thinking about what Monday is going to look like when it's still Saturday or Sunday. It's very easy for us to be working when we're not even working. Your oxen's working. Even though you're not at work, even though you're not producing and creating, your donkeys are working. You're thinking about it. Always accessible. Taking notes, thinking, working it out, solving it in your mind. So what day can you lay it all down? What season can you lay it all down when you're not thinking Now, I know some of you have jobs that are very, very odd, and they'll push you like 20 days in a row or 21 days in a row. Take a few days off when you're done. I mean, understand there's a principle to be honored. Not to to be handled legalistically. Again, Mark says, Christ says in Mark, that this, this day is here to serve you. The Pharisees made it to where we had to serve the day. And the day became an obstacle and a hindrance, something that was oppressive to us but it's here to serve you. So think of the spirit behind the gift of God's rest. And there is rest often in his design. Another tip is just to prepare for the day. This is, one, this is where most people go wrong, by the way. They don't prepare for the day. Plan to have a day where you don't plan. Right? This means thinking backward. For me, this means that on, by 5 o'clock on Friday, all of my work has to be done for this, for this morning. Things have to be printed out. Emails need to have been sent. Everything needs to be done so that on Saturday, which currently is my day, Saturday I'm not doing any work. I'm not creating, fixing, solving, producing. None of that's happening. What does that look like for you? Planning ahead. You know, there is this beautiful picture of this when God starts giving manna to Israel, right? This bread-like substance which falls from the sky Monday through Saturday, but not on Sunday. Now, if you were to, on Tuesday, pick up a bunch of this stuff, after what you ate, what you needed, the rest of it would rot. God was saying that sufficient am I to give you bread on a daily basis. That's, that's roughly um, what is going on there. But on Saturday, you could get twice as much. This is what it looks like in Exodus 16. Don't turn there. I'm just going to read it to you. This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over aside to be kept till the morning. That's what's going on right here. So pre- prepare. Prepare. What does this look like for you? I'll tell you what, if you're a dude, it means helping your wife. Because it is no big score if the guy's getting all the work down, and then the next day, the Sabbath... She's in there slaving on something, cleaning something, fixing something, cooking something. I mean, help. What does it take? Ask. Have this, have this conversation. What, what would it take to help you? Have a day where you're not doing anything but celebrating and resting in God's favor on your life. What does it take? I know it might mean the, the house not getting clean that day. You might have a messy house for a day, which is an easy trade for celebrating and remembrance of what God has done. But what does it look like? It's going to require some teamwork. Another tip, protect this day, protect it, but be flexible. Be flexible. Don't be weird, you know? Be flexible, because emergencies are going to come up. 
And this day is here to serve you as a gift. Stonewall Jackson, who was a Civil War general and a staunch Presbyterian, he prized the Sabbath day. And he would pray, and you can find it in some of his journal entries, he would pray that God would never let a battle come to his front door on the Sabbath because you would find him in the tent. You would find him retreating into God's rest. And he just loathed the day that there would be a battle on the Lord's day. Don't be weird about it. That's weird. I'm sorry if you're a Stonewall fan. I'm sure he was a great general, but that's weird theology, right? Have guardrails set up, but don't be a Pharisee about it. It's there to serve you. It's there to serve you. Another tip is to make it scalable, right? We answered this as one of the questions, the follow-up questions last week. I do have a Sabbath every week, right? And, I, and sometimes I don't get it. Most of the time I do. But I also take Sabbath. I punctuate my day with Sabbath rest too. There's a good two to three hours where unless it's DEFCON 5, you're not going to get me. I, it's going to be hard to reach me. Why? Because I'm celebrating and I'm resting and I'm recovering with my family. There's reinvention, recreating, refreshing, resetting. All of these things that start with RE. Why? Because we run out of a currency, and that currency needs to be built back up. So what do I do? I get refreshed. I get refreshed. Justin Buzzard, he says, this is a good day to practice. The Sabbath day is a good day to practice irresponsibility. Not like getting drunk irresponsible or no seatbelt, you know, but, but itinerary irresponsibility. Where you wake up and you do the things that you want to do, not the things that you ought to do. But what is it that recreates you, rejuvenates you, recalibrates you, refreshes you? Where have you run out of currency that needs to be built back up? Where has this happened for you? It's a beautiful day. This is a day I don't lead anybody but my family. I'm not producing anything, right? This is a day where I'm hanging out with my kids. This is a day where I'm hanging out with my wife, and the only work I'm doing is crushing my kids in Mario Kart. Besides that, it doesn't get a whole lot more technical. It's a day where I'm being refreshed, and I'm enjoying my family. I'm enjoying my wife. For me, and this might be a little different from you, and this is super-duper practical, for me, I have to watch out for the honeydew lists because I'm not really handy. And so if, if I'm fixing something or creating something, it becomes incredible work. Incredible work. Some of you, it's not like that. I've got friends that are carpenters that, man, I look at what they do, and I'm thinking, man, my brain is tired just watching you. I cannot do that. It would be work to me. For them, it's rejuvenating and refreshing. Even though they're creating something, it's their creativity spilling out on something that brings a lot of refreshing. For me, I like running trails. If I'm a hard trail, and I run it, and that exhaustion I feel at the top is exhilarating for me. It might not be like that for you. What is it for you? John Piper says that one of the best parts of his Sabbath day is just sleeping in. Just sleeping in. Walks the dog, takes his wife out on a date. Pretty much a perfect rest day for him. What is it for you that recreates you? That refreshes you? Is it cooking? But Luke, you said don't create. You said don't produce. Some of you love to cook. And that is your love language, and you feel refreshed when you do that. You see how we can't be religious about it? You see how it's different for everybody? But there's a principle to be honored here. There's a principle. I'll tell you what I don't do. I don't make bricks. I'm not overworking. I'm not going back to being enslaved. If 
by the expectations of a culture spinning wildly out of control. I'm not going to trip into the expectations that an industry puts on me, my neighbors put on me, a church might want to put on me, and I'm not going to enslave myself to the expectations I want to put on myself. There will always be bricks to be made. Always bricks to be made. I don't make bricks. I want to pause productivity, pause problem solving, because just like the poor, they will always be around us. There will always be problems, always be task lists, always be to-do lists. So as we finish this, there's a few groups, three groups I want to talk to, and then we're going to worship God and music. And One group is those who are physically making bricks. Some of you are physically overworking. You're workaholics, right? We spoke to you a little bit last week. And just like any addict, just like any addict, we justify our disobedience by these noble-sounding platitudes. Well, it's not overworking if I enjoy my work, right? It's not over. I mean, hey, I mean, if I have a good time at my job and it doesn't really make me super tired, then I don't really need a rest for it. Read Genesis. God didn't take a rest because he was tired. <laughs> it wasn't out of exhaustion that he said, I'm done. Like, oh gosh, I got to take a breather. Okay, day seven, I'm done. It, that's not how it went. He had, he, had bound, he had a deep well of energy. It was never going to run out. And he stopped. And he stopped. How about this one? Another platitude that I myself have used. I can't afford to retreat into rest. There is just too much to do. Exactly. Exactly. That's where the beauty is and the trust is the stopping and the ceasing and the pausing of the work. You will always have, you will die with unfinished business around you. Always have it. Stewardship, friends. If you struggle there and you're a workaholic, stewardship has you in a place of managing what you have been given. Managing what you've been given. And once you've decided to take the gift that has been given to you, and instead of managing it, now you own it, you are breaking this. You're breaking it. You've tried to innovate on what God has designed, and it's not working for you. And it theologically comes out of an unbelief that God produces for us and that he is in control. We don't believe he does either one, so what do we do? We make bricks. If God's not in control, I have to be in control. Right? If he's not producing, I, I've got to produce. But the gospel truth for you and me, fellow overworkers, the gospel truth for us is that we will not be like other nations that produce nonstop. You have neighbors and people around you that will produce all seven days of the week, no resting. And that's not the gospel mark on our lives. It's not. We need our rest to point to a rest giver, as we said last week. Our countercultural rest points to a countercultural rest giver. Some of you, you are overworking and making bricks physically because you are spiritually doing it. Spiritually, you're not done clocking in and working to impress God. Spiritually, this is an issue. And this is what we looked at last week is the work behind the work. And we've discussed already today. Some of you, and the leading two reasons that people work behind their work or work underneath their work is in order to get security or identity. I work and work and work and work so that I have more in my silo over here in case the Russians really do invade or Y2K wasn't a myth, it was just late or something, but we have a silo of resources and so it's going to provide security to me. 
as working behind the work because we're not satisfied in the fact that God has already given us a security that can never be removed. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from God, right? Another one is identity. I work and I work and I work and I work so people see me a certain way. The validity is given to me. I have value in my industry's eyes, value in culture's eyes. And that, friend, is work behind the work because there is only one identity. There is only one identity that actually even gives life, and it is the identity of Christ that God has gifted us with in the gospel of grace. It's a beautiful gospel, friend. The good news of grace the good news of grace and the good news for you is that Christ said it is finished. I'm resting. And I'm giving you a perfect rest. I'm giving you a peace. I'm giving you all of this despite your best attempts to procure it yourself and fail and despite all the rocks you've thrown at me and despite as fast as you've tried to run away from me, I have gifted you with something totally despite you. That's grace. Then it came after he said, it is finished. And then some of you here are still enslaved, still have shackles, still have a taskmaster, still have things that you are abusing and addicted to. And this should be great news for you today because there is a rest giver who is breaking people out of prison every day, every moment, even this morning, all over Knoxville. There are people who are coming out of being their own king and calling a new king in their life. A countercultural rest giver. One who has said it is finished as he created creation and one who has come in the form of man in Jesus and said it is finished one more time for your benefit, to give you a rest. You know, there will be a time. And, you know, this is going to sound old-fashioned. But hear me, there is going to be a time where your work is measured. Where your work is measured. It's going to happen. And your work will either be perfect, it will either be perfect, or it will be rejected. The thing is, for those who are in Christ, they have been cloaked in a perfect work schedule already. The one who said it is finished. So friend, listen, it will be measured. It will be measured. Will it be your work that it is measured by? Or will it be whom you were buried in and that person's work, another, a king rescuer, and his work that you will be measured by? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Okay? So stand with me. And we're going to pray and we're going to go into worship. And as Wes had said, we do reserve the bulk of our worship post-sermon. And that's so you can wrestle with, analyze, push back, do whatever you need to converse with God, worship God in this time. We do have communion in the back. So what this looks like is we are a church that believes in a displayed gospel, right? With broken bread, it's resembling a broken body. Um, Juice that symbolizes a spilt blood. And as we take that together as Christians, we're saying we remember what God has done and we look forward to what we are going to, which is a brand new banquet. So we like to do that in plurality. So if you're here with your family and you love Jesus, we'd love for you to go back and take it here with roommates, your community group, we'd love for you to go and take it. But listen, if you are still enslaved and far from Christ, don't take it. Don't take it. Not that we're an exclusive club. We just rather you take Jesus instead. Take the real broken body 
It's not even broken anymore. Take the real spilt blood, which is now royal blood for us. That's what we'd encourage you to do. So we'll have people stationed. You know, we'll have Wes in the back, and I see Matt and Shannon back there. Raise your hand, Matt. Good looking. So what we'll do is we'll have these people available. If you need somebody to talk to, if you even have any questions, I encourage you, I encourage you, I encourage you to go and talk to somebody today. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you. You're so good to us. And I thank you for giving us a rest. Lord, I know when I get tense and I know when I start thinking about all the unfinished business around me, I am tempted to overwork. I'm tempted to overwork. And Lord, I know that we've all grown up in a culture where overworking is noble. It's very American. It's very rugged to overwork. And we've tried to innovate on your schedule and all we've done is broken ourselves. And Father, I know that many of us in here have not, have not been able to go to work on Monday morning and glorify you very well. For one of the main reasons is, God, we just don't rest very well. And we're limping into work. So Father, this is not just about resting in you and glorifying you in our rest. It's about doing it in our work as well. But Lord, help us. Help us be comfortable as unfinished projects in a very finished gospel. Help us be finished in you. Lord, help me be comfortable in my own skin with all this unfinished business around me, knowing that you have said it is finished and you have taken care of it for me. Lord, help us. Help us, God, where we don't believe. Help us where our faith runs so short and give us faith to believe that you are really big, you are really in control, and you are really good. Lord, give us faith to see and believe that your identity is more beautiful than what we're trying to get from everybody around us. Help us see, Father, that the security that you've already given us in Jesus is better than the security that we try to provide by overworking. Lord, help us see and give us the faith to believe that you are a better owner than we are that we do not own our bodies. You do. And the life we live is lived unto you. Father, we worship you and we repent. We turn away from overworking. Lord, we turn away from voluntarily going back to making bricks. When you have freed us, when you have freed us from a taskmaster, you're so generous and we thank you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen.